Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week on Viewpoints. They aren't necessarily the flashy chef or the adorable farmer. These are people who are doing things like making pallets, packing food, driving trucks. Exploring the many roles that keep the U.S. food system churning. Then... In most American cities, you're lucky to see a couple dozen stars on a good night. How light pollution obliterates the starry night. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Research shows that people remember radio ads with lots of sound effects. So to help you remember that Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your home insurance so you only pay for what you need, here are some zany sounds. Saving on home insurance is no laughing matter. Liberty Mutual customizes your home insurance, so you only pay for what you need. The money you save could change your life. It's time for you to take your insurance choice seriously. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Saving at the Home Depot means you can do more for less. Like making your laundry and life easier with an LG wash tower that automatically detects fabric texture and load size. Enjoy savings on top-rated appliances online, in-store, or on the Home Depot app. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only, while supplies last. Valid 1-6-126-2022. Free delivery applies to orders of $396 or more. Over the last two years, the pandemic has created major disruptions in the food industry. From COVID outbreaks to shipping delays to labor shortages, it's been a challenging time to say the least. Despite these hardships, the food supply chain has never truly failed us thanks to the millions who continue to work in food production, distribution, and service. Many of these employees are not public-facing, but instead work behind the scenes with little recognition or gratitude. The people that bring us our food are often invisible, unrecognized, and don't have an opportunity to tell their own stories. That's Dr. Robin Metcalf, a lecturer in the College of Natural Sciences at the University of Texas at Austin. Metcalf specializes in the study of food systems design and is the author of the new book, Humans in Our Food. She says that one silver lining of the pandemic is that it opened more people's eyes to the importance of the food supply chain. Remember in spring of 2020, when toilet paper and baker's yeast were flying off the shelves? Entire aisles were picked empty, and there was little variety to choose from. It was chaos, and left many people longing for the boring normalcy of their usual shopping trips. Even today, some markets and restaurants are still dealing with kinks in the supply chain that limit food selection and timely restocks. People say, well, the supply chain is broken, and I don't think that's a fair assessment. I think it is struggling to adapt 
using the optimization techniques that it's known for, but amidst numerous blockages, not to mention human behavior, which is highly unpredictable. How is a farmer in Central California going to know that you're going to panic one day and go to the store and buy every head of lettuce that day that's possible? How is the supply chain going to know that people aren't going to go back to work or that inflation will happen and fuel prices and people um, can't unload their ships? These disruptions in the supply chain coupled with labor shortages have ultimately led to rising food costs. Between November 2020 and November 2021, food prices across the board rose by more than 6%, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. Items like meat, poultry, fish, and eggs increased by 12% over the same year. Unfortunately, these elevated prices are expected to continue well into 2022 as the industry struggles with ongoing challenges like the onset of new COVID variants. These pressures affect the lives of about 20 million people working within the U.S. food system that are in some way involved in stocking the items we rely on. And that's not counting everyone in agriculture. It's not counting everybody working in the seafood business. There isn't really an accurate count of all of the people in the supply chain. And as I traveled around the country and other cities, I realized that they're busy making and they aren't necessarily the flashy chef or the adorable farmer. These are people who are doing things like making pallets, packing food driving trucks. The various roles within the food industry are seemingly endless, and these lesser-known jobs are just as important as the public-facing roles like a grocery store manager or counter butcher. There's fish skinners. There's people who are working to repair boats for each season. And while it doesn't seem like they're members of our food supply chain, if they didn't do their job, supply chain wouldn't work. There's an amazing number of secondary and third-level jobs that the food supply chain depends upon. The food production pipeline never stops. Across the globe, there are hundreds of millions of people working at any hour of the day, 365 days a year, to help keep our food supply flowing. And each person brings with them a unique viewpoint and story to share from their work. Metcalf recalls one particularly fond food memory from her investigative travels to Istanbul, Turkey in 2013 during a period of political protests in the country. I was on the hunt to find out how and who was responsible for making a traditional bagel-like item that everybody in Turkey has for breakfast and tea called a simit. And so I was in a bakery for simits, and everybody was busy making summits to take to the park where the protests were. And I think one thing that was really visible was the sharing of this iconic bagel between the police, the protesters, and those that were both, all parts of that protest were, shall we say, breaking bread across the lines with this summit. And the summit sellers with their small little carts, they have very interesting Turkish carts they sell these summits from. And it's just kind of like the power of food to connect us. Food is a universal connector, bringing people together from all different viewpoints, cultures, and countries. 
The people who produce and sell this food create it for everyone, not just a specific cluster of people. Metcalf argues that some Americans think of the food industry and tend to lump all workers into the same category, assuming certain stereotypes about the sector. Surprisingly, I think there's a general sense that these people are somehow exploited by their employers. They're somehow, could they get another job, they would do it. That they're poorly paid and that they're not well educated. And while some of that might be true for some portion of our, the people who make our food, I found there to be more examples of people that are a counterexample of that. People who have found this to be their first job in this country that has enabled them to bring their families to the United States and get them into good schools and have a house. That there really are people who do believe in the American dream and do have it as part of their experience. There's still great opportunity within this industry, but like any field, it's also evolving with the times. In some cases, the pandemic has sped up this change. People have moved, they've found new ways to grow things, they found new things to grow, shifted from one product to another product, and I think the makers are finding ways to, whether it's by making meat in a lab, to exploring some of these inside growing systems, to developing high-value niche products. In the wake of a national labor shortage, a growing number of companies are also moving more towards automation to fill certain jobs. You see farming robots. You see harvesters that are robots. You see robots working in fast food systems. You see servers disappear and QR codes and touch screens appearing. You see just the advent of technology replacing humans. In spite of this, looking ahead to the future, Metcalf remains hopeful that people will still find their way into the food industry regardless. But how they get there and the roles they take on may look a little bit different. One of the things that I do is I teach a course in designing global food systems. And I'm encouraged by the enthusiasm and interest in the students coming into the food system, they want to make a change. They're more technically savvy. So these are new generations that may not provide a continuity between sort of the traditional families that have been in the business, but they're full of life, full of creativity, and I think we'll be in good hands. To find out more about the U.S. food industry and supply chain and the workers who make up this sector, visit viewpointsradio.org. You can also check out Dr. Robin Metcalf's new book, Humans in Our Food, now available online and in bookstores. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, to know a starry night, finding ways to restore the dark sky when Viewpoints returns. With just one spray of Microband 24, your hard surfaces are sanitized for up to 24 hours. Touch after touch after touch. So six hours from now? Still sanitized. 12 hours? Yep. 18 hours. We're really doing this. 24 hours. When used as directed, one spray of Microband keeps killing 99.9% of bacteria touch after touch for, yeah, up to 24 hours. Wow. Microband 24, the sanitizer four out of five doctors would use in their own homes. So why aren't you? Yes, Ms. Tubbs. 
Uh, no problem. I'll call someone about the plumbing. One of Beatrice's properties needs a new superintendent. Someone with handyman superpowers and a concierge alter ego. Does anyone know any good electricians near Parkville? Indeed can help her hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes. I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you. Or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in. Remember when you would lay in the grass at night, spotting all kinds of constellations, maybe glimpsing at a shooting star or marveling at the cloudy outline of the Milky Way? No? This outdoor pastime has all but disappeared from our lives as light pollution from buildings, billboards, street lamps, and even the security lights from your neighbor's garage make it impossible to see but a few stars at night. The dark sky has become a rarity in the modern world, and advocates across the globe are finding ways to bring it back. Just yesterday, my daughter said, you know, look at all the stars and planets. And I looked up and it was like, I probably could count 20 kind of thing. And to really see, you know, the Milky Way or even beyond that, you're having to obviously get out of the city, but maybe even get to really rural areas or out west or, you know, to really get away from most of us live, and that is, I think, the sad thing. That's Paul Bogard, author of the picture book To Know a Starry Night, with photos by astrophotographer Bo Rogers. One key aspect of this discussion is the prevalence of light pollution. So what exactly is it? A good definition of light pollution is just the overuse and misuse of artificial light at night. So it's, uh, you know, we're going to have artificial light. We, we like it. We need it. We'll have it. It's just a matter of sort of how we'll use it and how much and where. And so light pollution is really speaking to kind of the irresponsible use of it, you know, blasting it into the sky or into your neighbor's house or into the eyes of drivers, that kind of thing. It's if you look back at a map an atlas of light pollution that some astronomers have made. If you look back 50 years ago, this was a much darker country. Artificial light has revolutionized the way we live, extending our days into the night. But at what cost? And we don't understand that the overuse and misuse of artificial light at night impacts us in, in many ways. The impact to human physical health, for example, disrupting sleep and impeding the production of melatonin and the, the sort of waste of money and the, the psychological cost of not being able to look up and see the night sky as a child, for example, 
there are, we live in a society that teaches us that the more light you can have, the better, i.e. the safer. And in fact, you know, when bright lights are shining right into your eyes, you know, as a driver, that makes it less safe, right? So it's, there are a number of ways that too much light is actually an issue that touches us in many ways. Amateur astronomers describe the night sky using the Bortle scale, which is named after John Bortle, who created it in 2001. It describes light pollution on a scale from 1 to 9, based on celestial objects visible to the naked eye. For example, if you're standing in Times Square in New York City at midnight on a clear night, you won't see any stars. That's a Bortle 9. If only the brightest constellations, like the Big Dipper, barely glow and the Milky Way is invisible, that's a Bortle Class 7, which is common in most suburbs around the country. When I first started working in this issue, I called a guy from the National Park Service and said, who measures light pollution in park service areas, and I said, hey, where can I go to see a level one, like no light pollution? And the first thing he said was, Australia would be great. If you look at a dark sky map, you'll see that Europe is lit up like a Christmas tree, as is much of the eastern half of the United States. Australia, on the other hand, is one of the darkest places in the world, and a mecca for night sky enthusiasts. One organization committed to the cause is the International Dark Sky Association, a leader in protecting areas known as dark sky reserves. These sites meet a number of criteria including an exceptional view of the Milky Way with the unaided eye. But communities can also pass ordinances and convert into certified dark sky destinations. In Arizona, Tucson and Flagstaff are two cities that have done so. So how can you push for a darker sky in your own community? The first thing to do is really assess your own community and your own strengths. So there's pretty much nothing that you can't tie light pollution and dark skies to in terms of like conservation themes. So if your community really values wildlife and ecological health, that might be something that you want to look into researching the effects of light pollution on, craft your argument about that, and then reach out either to the local businesses or local community council and, and make your case for changing the lighting or updating the lighting ordinances. Some communities really value tourism, and astrotourism has been a huge booming segment of the ecotourism sector. That's Betty Maya Foote a director of engagement at the International Dark Sky Association. Foote says it's important to build a following rather than approach City Hall on your own. She suggests searching for a local astronomy club or a nearby Audubon society. Such a group got management at the John Hancock Center in Chicago to turn off the lights at night because they disoriented migrating birds. Even local tourism councils might help to build a dark sky coalition when they learn about the benefits of astro-tourism. But not everyone will be keen on darkness. Be prepared for what people may argue against light pollution. So some of the really common ones are safety. That's kind of the first thing that people bristle at when you talk about, you know, reducing lighting levels. Is they're like, you know, we're all about seeing the stars, but we really want to be safe. So much of the light that we use that's going just right up into the sky or it's bouncing off a billboard and going into the sky or it's just shining. It's not making anybody any safer. If you want lights, you can shield them better. There are fixtures that will shine the light down rather than shine it up or shine it horizontally. 
But really, like with our house where we live in Minneapolis, there's enough ambient light from the street lights that we don't really need to have, you know, lights on our house on at night. So we just turn them off. But what about local businesses? After all, high visibility with the lights on is a marketing strategy. Actually, not necessarily. What I've seen a lot of our advocates do around the world is actually create a dark sky friendly business certification. And they will, for businesses that have dark sky friendly lighting, you know, they will give them an award. They'll write it up in the local newspaper. They'll give them a window cling to hang in their window and just give them a lot of positive publicity. And that can actually create a lot of buy-in from local businesses. And as well, when you talk about astrotourism and bringing people and tourists into the community to appreciate the night sky, that actually increases people's spending in the community because in order to really appreciate a night sky event, you have to spend the night in that community, which increases that tourist spending, you know, almost fourfold as opposed to just passing through to get, you know, get their Instagram shots and then move on. Dark sky friendly lighting in business is actually really go hand in hand and can definitely support one another. Even if you live in a place that is a Bortle class seven or eight, Bogard says the night sky is still beautiful and worth exploring. I just always encourage people to, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good in terms of experiencing the beauty of the night. Night is has so much to offer us and is so beautiful in so many ways. And to just encourage folks to do whatever they can to start to attend to that and and to be open to that and to go out and try to see the stars wherever you are or the moon is, you know, quite beautiful as well. And then to be thoughtful and good neighborly about the use of lights. The next time you roll your trash cans or take the dog out to the curb, pause for a moment, look up and take in the beauty of even that single star. If you're lucky enough to see the Milky Way, breathe in its beauty for the rest of us. You can also take in the stars in Paul Bogard's book, To Know a Starry Night, available now online and in bookstores. Learn more about all of our past guests by visiting our website at viewpointsradio.org. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Polly Hansen. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Our studio engineer is Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. Research shows that people remember radio ads with repetition. So to help you remember that Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your home insurance so you only pay for what you need, here's a repetitive ad. <clears throat> okay. Research shows that people remember radio ads with repetition. So to help you remember that Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your home insurance so you only pay for what you need, here's a repetitive ad. <sighs> only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. With just one spray of Microband 24, your hard surfaces are sanitized for up to 24 hours. Touch after touch after touch. So six hours from now? Still sanitized. 12 hours? Yep. 18 hours. We're really doing this. 24 hours. When used as directed, one spray of Microband keeps killing 99.9% of bacteria touch after touch for, yeah, up to 24 hours. Wow. Microband 24, the sanitizer four out of five doctors would use in their own homes. So why aren't you? Welcome to Culture Crash, where we explore what's new and old in entertainment. The year was 2002, and I was excited. 
For the first time, I was dying to see a new movie, and that movie was called Spider-Man. You know the movie I'm talking about. It was directed by Sam Raimi, and it starred Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. It was also sort of the beginning of our modern era of superhero movies. Of course, superhero movies existed far before 2002. Richard Donner's Superman movies and Tim Burton's Batman movies are iconic. But 2002's Spider-Man brought us to the place where superheroes could just live among us. So, I was nine years old, I went to see this movie that I was dying to see, and I loved it. I was enamored with the thrill of being able to swing from building to building, and I just had a blast with it. Eventually, I bought the DVD and watched the thing countless times. But then, Spider-Man 2 came out, which I liked even better. And then, Batman Begins came out, and I liked that even better. And in 2007, Spider-Man 3 came out and the wheels sort of fell off the Raimi franchise. And in 2008, The Dark Knight came out and blew everything else I'd seen out of the water. I never gave much thought back to that first Spider-Man movie again. But last weekend, I rewatched it for the first time in probably more than a decade. And I brought with it so much baggage from the movies that have come out since that Maguire Spider-Man ended his run. Five more Spider-Man movies with different actors in the main role, more Batman movies, more Superman movies, the rest of the Marvel Universe, and when I rewatched 2002 Spider-Man, I still loved it. What I loved about it this time was what I loved about it when it came out. It's just fun. It's sort of cheesy at times, but it still delivers the goods. J.K. Simmons is great as J. Jonah Jameson, the cranky old newspaper man. The Kiss in the Rain is, of course, one of the most iconic movie moments of my lifetime. But the thing I love the most is how much the movie delights in the web-slinging. Our more modern superhero movies have become so familiar that there's no time to delight in the superpowers, because an urgent threat is always coming down on our hero's head. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe nowadays, there's no time to do much of anything because they are constantly setting up the next 10 movies. But rewatching Spider-Man 02, I could easily remember why I wanted to be Spider-Man at 9. Because they make it look so exhilarating. The movie takes the time to take audiences with on the ride from building to building, careening above New York City, like Spider-Man himself. Sometimes you revisit things you loved as a child and feel disappointed that they don't hold up. In revisiting my favorite movie of 2002, it felt like a breath of fresh air. Thanks, Spider-Man. I'm Evan Rook. Saving at the Home Depot means you can do more for less. Like upgrading your kitchen with a top-rated Samsung kitchen suite, a smart range with air fry, a smart cooling system refrigerator, and a dishwasher with advanced quiet cycles. And with free delivery, the savings come to you. Shop in-store, online, or in the Home Depot app. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. Valid 1-6 through 1-26-2022. Free delivery on orders of $396 or more. 
Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. So why not ask? Just say, Hey, did you get your hair cut? It looks cool. Also, have you saved even more by bundling with GEICO? Or maybe, Hey, did you get your hair cut? It looks weird. Uh, not weird, cool. Anyway, have you bundled with GEICO? Or try, Hey, did you get your hair cut? It doesn't look weird at all. Anywho, have you saved by bundling with... Hey, easy with that rake. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.